That's awesome. All right. Uh, if you would, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis is the first book uh, in the Bible. We are going through our sermon series uh, called Seeing Jesus in All Scripture because one of the things we believe about the Bible is that not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament uh, shows us who Jesus really is. And uh, one of the things that we believe here in RUF is we believe in something called justification. And justification is God's legal declaration for all those who embrace Jesus that they are declared righteous because of his righteousness given to them. And it's all for free. And one of the, one of the ways in which that comes up in the college life, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, is that everyone in here is trying to figure out, am I enough? But Genesis 15 is going to help answer that. Genesis 15 is one of the premier texts in all the Bible that shows us what justification is and how we can find it. How we can finally come to rest in answering that question, am I or will I ever be enough? Genesis 15, we'll read the whole chapter. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not. Abram, I am your shield. Your, very, uh, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram went on to say, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household uh, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And the Lord brought him outside. And he said to him, look up toward heaven. And number the stars, if you're able to even number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I going to be able to possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and he cut them in half and he laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But... I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the land of the Kenizzites, the land of the Cadmonites, not Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. God's people said, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful truth. Maybe some of us in here is the first time ever reading this. Maybe for some of us it's the 500th or 1,000th or however many time reading this. We all need to see your truth. And none of us in here have ever seen enough of your truth. And we're asking that as you present your truth to us, that we would believe. And that we would see that Jesus is enough for us. It's to him we desire to behold. It's to him we desire to come. So would you help us, escort us into his presence. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, Back in the fall semester, there was a massive hit TV show that came out on Netflix. And it was the top program, and I think it said in over 94 countries. And it uh, was watched in over however many, like hundreds of millions of households. And it accumulated some like 1.64 billion hours of watch time. And that was in the first four weeks of the show. That show was Squid Game. Now, there was something really fascinating about when Squid Game came out. And it took the culture by storm. And you saw people like the Wall Street Journal writing about it, not to mention all the different like TikToks and for me, Instagram reels, because I'm an old guy. Uh, but it took, this, it took the culture by storm, but there's a reason why I did that. Because what you saw in that show, or even if you just read the plot line, it was this. There were people who were financially desperate. And they did whatever they could to earn a blessing. And they would kill even if they had to. And it was gripping, and it was something that I think what we actually saw was that that's what society longs for most. At some level, we all know how desperate we are deep down, and we're dying to earn the blessing. But that's not what we can do according to God's word. You are desperate. I mean, we are, we're as desperate as desperate gets, but here's the difference. We cannot earn it, no matter what we do. The gospel says otherwise. The gospel says that it is all of grace, it is all free, and God gives it to you, not because you're good enough, but because he's merciful. That's what we see here in Genesis 15. We see a man who had nothing to offer God, but God freely gives grace. And the grace that God gives him is really God gives himself freely to Abram. Abram is the same guy as Abraham, if you're wondering. It's just before his name was changed. So, just clear the air. Let's look, at, let's look at it. God initiates grace. God confirms grace. And God solidifies grace. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. should have brought a water up here. Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not. I am your shield. And really, a better translation would be, I, your very great reward. Why Abram? Of all the people, why Abram? Well, if you read in chapter 12, Abram kind of comes up out of nowhere. And matter of fact, Abram is 
Not even where God wants him to be. He's in this place called the Ur of the Chaldeans. That's where, he, that's where he's at. That, those were his people. And God graciously chooses Abram, not because of anything he is or anything that he has done. It is all grace. Because that's what grace is. The moment grace is earned, it is not grace by definition. God initiates the relationship. And when God initiates a relationship, he had given Abram promises in Genesis 12. And he said, look, I'm going to make of you a great nation. But since God gave that promise, you know how many years it's been? 25. How old are you? 26. 26. That's basically a steve right there. <laughs> in other words, that's a long time. Amen. Amen. That'll preach. Yeah. Now look, I don't know about you. But 25 years is waiting a long time, right? 25 years, God gave Abram a promise. He had no children. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And so far, nothing's happened. Would you begin to doubt? I know I would. God comes to Abram again, and he says, fear not. There's probably a lot of things, God's reasons why God's telling him not to fear, but I think At some level, God is probably telling him, fear not, because he's going to be faithful to his promise. And I think it's really interesting, because how often in Scripture does God say, do not fear? Just think about when the angels appeared to the shepherds when they were announcing the birth of Jesus. They said, do not fear. But why should Abram not fear? He says this, fear not, Abram, what? I am your shield. Shield could also be translated as donor or giver. And when you take shield, donor, and giver all together, what you really come up with is the image of someone who will provide protection and who will provide provision. That God will protect you and he will provide for you. That's why you should not fear, Abram. And I think that's awesome. Because here's what God does not do when Abram is anxious. He does not tell Abram, look within. He does not tell him, look at your abilities. Look at what you can do. He says, not look within, look without. Look at who I am. And some of you, some of you are scared of the future so much. And you look at the news and you see about what some people say, a potential war with Ukraine and Russia. You look at your own body and you see things failing. I just got in a, an Instagram message from someone uh, who I hadn't talked to in maybe nine years who had randomly messaged me and was at the end of their rope and was like, I just found out a health status about, about myself and I don't know what to do. Can you point me somewhere where there's hope? Maybe that's you too. Maybe you are going to get married this summer. And you have no clue how you're going to be that husband or that wife. Well, first off, welcome to the club. But there's a lot of us in here. When we look at the future, we get really nervous. But what God does not tell you to do is this. He doesn't tell you, look within and have a lot of self-esteem. He says, look without. Because if you look within, you're not going to find anything helpful there. But if you look without, you're going to see someone who will provide for you. And he will protect you. Abram still struggles with doubts. And isn't that actually kind of comforting because we struggle with doubts. And so what does God do? Look at verse five. God brings him outside for a nighttime stroll. 
Um, it's kind of weird, right? Like of all the things to strengthen your faith, he's like, hey, let's just go outside. You'd be like, I, I think like you're kind of ignoring what I'm trying to get here. But here's what God's doing. He takes him outside and he says, look towards the heavens and number the stars. And I love this. If you are able. In a non-modern age, without all those lights, excuse me, Abram would have looked up and he would have seen tens of thousands of stars just with the naked eye. Imagine this, that you tried to count each one of these black dots in these ceiling tiles right here. That's what it would be like. Abram, I know you don't have any kids yet, but that's how much your offspring will be. Now, here's a question. Why would God do that? Here's what God's doing. God's word is sufficient. And one of the things that God does to help the word be sealed upon our hearts is that he gives us ways to look at his promises. God gets Abram to look up, and as he has heard the promise that his descendants would be as numerous as a great nation, he looks up at the stars and he sees something amazing. Actually, God's still doing something like that to us today. What we say whenever we partake of in the Lord's Supper or baptism, that we see the word. You are baptized and you watch other people be baptized. And it's amazing because you see the promises of God to cleanse your heart. And like in baptism, you don't do anything. It happens to you. But then also in the Lord's Supper, you know what promises you see? When you see the bread you see the reminder that God has come down in our very flesh and he has given himself for you. And then when you see the wine and when you taste the wine and it's slightly bitter, you are reminded that there was a greater and more bitter cup that he had to drink of God's wrath for you on the cross. That's what you see. That's why you need the sacraments. Because God wants to seal those promises upon our hearts. Abram, when he sees... The stars, what does he do? He says he believes. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord. <laughs> he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. What is belief? What is faith? Faith isn't merely believing in God. It is believing God. Faith is not merely believing in the existence of God. It is taking God at his word. Even the devil believes in God. Don't miss that. Even Judas Iscariot believed in Jesus. But the question is, do you believe him? Do you take him at his word? It's not perfect faith. It's definitely not perfect faith. But it is not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. Saves you. Let's take this. Uh, raise your hand if you're a pilot in here. Aiden's a pilot. Sarah's a pilot. Mason's not a pilot. Man, it would have been so much fun to pick on Mason. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I'm not, my voice is going all crazy. Um, let's say Aiden invites me to come on a plane ride. And uh, I'd be scared to death. And, but let's say this. Let's say I had just enough faith just to get on board. When we get up in the air and we're flying around, I might be nervous and I might be saying, I hope we're going to make it the whole way. Here's the thing. Is my faith keeping us up in the air? No. He is. 
Yeah, he is. That'll preach right there, man. He's keeping us up. And no matter how much the plane shakes, no matter how much I try to believe, that's not keeping us up. He is. The object of my faith is. The strength of your faith does not save you. The object does. Because He is strong. Matter of fact, it's good when you're weak. Because then you look more. Abram was weak. He didn't have anything to offer God. He just looked. And he took God at His word. And when that happened, here's what what it says. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, this is the doctrine that we call justification that I mentioned earlier. God declares Abram as righteous, as being in the right with God. It's amazing. It's a legal declaration that never changes. And when God declares it, it is forever yours. Let me give you an example. There are three couples in here that I'm going to marry this summer, and then one of my former youth students who I'm going to get to marry in September. And there's going to come a moment in the service towards the very end before I can say, you may now kiss your bride. And I'll say this. And by the power, that, uh, and by the power that's been given to me by God and before man, I now pronounce you man and wife. Something along those lines. Now, here's, here's a question. Is there going to be anything like super magical whenever Lane and Haley are standing up there and they might be holding hands? And are you going to see like sparkles be like, you know? Yeah, y'all are like, yes, that's actually what happens. Um, no, here's what's really cool. They literally are not doing anything but standing there and just hearing. Nothing in them changes. They are sitting there and hearing it And as they hear it, the word declares, and it doesn't just declare, it does what it says. And when I say man and wife, it is a reality. Their status has changed, their relationship has changed, and they have done nothing. You know what's really cool? In the first six seconds of y'all being married, they will be just as married as me and Grace have been for six years. They will be just as married as a married couple has been for 60 years. You can't grow in being more married. You just live in light of it. That is justification. That is what God gives us. He declares us to be righteous. It says in Galatians 2, verse 16, let me just turn around and read it. Excuse me, I'm coughing like crazy. Galatians 2, 16, Paul is, is showing that how The way God saved Abram is the same way He saves us today. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in who? Jesus Christ. The object of our faith. So we have also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ in service sin? Certainly not. Here's what Paul's saying. What he's saying is this. You can't do anything to earn it. You will never, ever be enough. Never, ever, ever. That. Yeah, there you go. I sang. There you go. My winter conference people for Austin Royal. Shout out. You'll never be enough. Stop trying. But Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is enough. And here's the thing. It means this. 
You can either deal with God by grace or by being enough. You can either deal with God by faith or by trying to obey all of His law. It can't just be some. Because even if you break one part of the law, you break all of it. You either deal with God by glorying in Christ or seeking your own glory. There's only two types of people in this room. You see, if you don't want to come to God by Jesus, you will be judged by your works. God is only gracious to us through Jesus. Everyone else is judged by what you do. And if you want to be judged by what you do, you better be as good as Him. You see, justification answers a lot of the questions we ask. Isn't that one of the reasons when we, we use social media... And I love the, the blue verified check mark. But doesn't that say a lot about us? Because when we put things on social media, we're hoping that people will verify our life. That's what we're doing. We put, we put custom things out there and only a select few at a time. And we even make sure that we have a, a very good theme. And we hope that people will look at us and say, they got a good life. We also do this. We also ask the question, how can I be enough? We try to be enough with good grades, with social skills, or maybe you even also have a side hustle. You try to get that beautiful boyfriend or a beautiful girlfriend. You try to be the life of the party or you keep up with social trends or whatever it is. Or here's a big one. One of the big ways in which we try to be enough is we try to be really, really busy. How are you doing? Oh, I'm really busy. I try to communicate to people and I'll try to say, look, I'm really busy because people really value my time and that should show you that I'm enough. Don't miss the trap. We also ask the question this, what am I supposed to do with all my guilt and shame? What we do is we either try to just bury it in time or we try to prove ourselves or we get buried and sink into despair because of all our guilt and shame. Or what we do is we just beat ourselves up enough or we put on that OSU face and even though we're dying inside, we try to look really good on the outside, especially when we come to large group. Or will we do this? When that finally gets really old, we just give in to that sinful lifestyle and we just embrace the shame. All of those questions are dealing with justification and you're only going to find the answer you're longing for in Jesus Christ. God gives grace. He gives it freely. And it is in His grace that He gives you Himself for free. That's what you can have. God initiates grace. God also confirms grace. Look at verse 7. And He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land you possess. But He said, O Lord, how am I to know that I'm going to possess it? Excuse me, God continues to reveal himself and he reveals himself as the covenant keeping God. But yet Abram still has an honest question. How am I going to know this is actually going to happen? Here's what God, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't chastise him. He says, all right, I'll come down to your level. And isn't that amazing? Because God knows our weakness. He often challenges us but he also comforts us with his truth. 
And he's getting down on Abram's level. And here's what he does. He says, look, I want you to take several animals. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a knife. And I want, you to, I want you to slit these animals' throats, and I want you to cut them down the middle and put them in parallel rows. It's going to be really bloody. It's going to be a lot of death. And when he cuts those animals and when he puts them in these rows, what, that's, what that is is that is a typical ancient Near East uh, ritual for verifying a covenant. God was making a covenant, not just a promise, a covenant with Abram. And he's saying, look, you see these animals in this row? Let's just picture it like it would be this row. And there would just be animals that are just bleeding everywhere. There's death. Birds are trying to swoop in and, and eat it. And Abram's trying to drive them away. And God says this, look, here's what's going to happen. When we walk down this aisle of, uh, of slaughtered animals, what we are saying is this. If we do not fulfill our end of this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. How would you feel if you're Abram? You start cutting animals, and you're like, I know what we're doing. Hold on now. You see, it's a serious thing. God couldn't be more serious about His grace. But it also shows this. It shows us what sin is. It shows us how serious sin is. And it shows us what hell is. It shows us that in hell, that it's a, it's a very good symbolism to show that as the animals were separated from each other through death, so when we die and we don't have Jesus Christ, we will be eternally, infinitely separated from God and others for all eternity. It will be death upon death. Mentally, physically, emotionally, all the least. Because you rejected the God of life. You see, some of us really downplay sin. We trifle with sin. We, we water it down. And when we look at pornography one time we just try to excuse ourselves and we say it's not really that big of a deal or even when we just look at someone's instagram pictures and we just lust over them a little bit even if we don't even see them naked we just say well it's not really that big of a deal my sexual desires that are unbiblical even though if i just don't live out on them it's not really that big of a deal or my anger that even i just harbor i don't necessarily show it but i just harbor it in an unbiblical way that's not really that big of a deal Here's the problem. Sin is like a crouching tiger. It looks small. It looks unintimidating. And then when you draw near to it, it pummels you and it kills you. Numbers 32 verse 23 says this. Be sure your sin will find you out. Like that car chase today that maybe y'all saw. Look. If you do not run to God, you can try to run from God, but you're always going to get caught. Be sure your sin will find you out. All of it. That's what this is saying. You see, the wages of sin is death. That's what Romans 6.23 says. But we see some mercy hidden in this. Look at it. Look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. <laughs> you might not think much about that, but actually in the Hebrew, when it says a deep sleep, it's the same phrase used in Genesis 2.21, when God makes Eve out of Adam. God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam so that out of one of his ribs, he would make Eve. Here's the mercy we see going on here. 
As God made a new person out of Adam, so here God is making a new people. He's making a new spiritual people. This dreadful and great darkness falls upon Abram, and it reminds us of Mount Sinai when God gives His law. And God makes these promises. He says, look, make no mistake about it. Your descendants, and you will be a great nation. But they're going to go into Egypt, and for 400 years they're going to be in slavery. But also, make no mistake about it, I will bring them out. Matter of fact, I'm not just going to bring them out. I'm going to bring them out with phenomenally great possessions. That's what I'm going to do. You see, if anything's going on right here, God is being as serious as possible about His grace to Abram. Here's the thing. God cares more about fulfilling His promises for you than you care about seeing Him fulfill His promises. Did you hear that? God cares more than you do about Him fulfilling His promises. Isn't that awesome? Because we all get to those points where we long to see something happen. Make no mistake about it, he is at work. God doesn't always keep our schedule. I share a calendar with Grace, and we just, it just never goes right. Um, we try to share a calendar with God, it never goes right. His timing is always perfect. God gives grace freely. And grace gives God freely. God initiates grace. God confirms grace. Thirdly, God solidifies grace. Look at verse 17. Here's where it gets amazing. Excuse me. I should have brought water up here. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, that always means stop and pay attention, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Um... What the heck does that mean? Right? Well, here's what it means. When you read the book of Exodus, what would happen is that when God would lead his people out of Egypt, do you remember what he leads them by? A pillar of fire and a cloud. Smoke and fire. Fire, as we see in Exodus 3-2, when God is, is telling Moses, I am who I am, and he's burning the bush, but yet the bush isn't consuming. Fire represents the presence of God. Now, hold on a second. Watch what's going on here. Does Abram walk through the pieces? Does it say that? No, it does not. Who walks through the pieces? God and God alone. Here is what God is saying. If I do not fulfill this covenant to you, all of grace, not by you earning it, then may what happened to these animals happen to me. By the way, if that happened to God and His very being, nothing would exist. It's impossible for God to lie. God's invoking a curse upon Himself if He does not graciously bless Abram. Now let me tell you something. That'll preach, right? Come on now. God himself alone. The only obligation for Abram is to take God at his word. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
You'll never be enough. But God is. There's a German village that has not changed rent since 1520. I wonder if, I don't know, maybe Luther had something to do with it. But it hasn't changed rent in this German village since 1520. You know how much rent is? One dollar. Look, you can't even get like a Wendy's burger for that little. You get rent anywhere in this town for one dollar. And it hasn't changed in 500 years. The price of the gospel never changes. But unlike this, even though it's only one dollar, the gospel is totally free. And it never changes. It's not like this. Jerry Seinfeld once made a joke. And he says, you know, whenever you used to get little toys in the cereal box, it never says this. The cereal box never comes with a toy and then also a note where the note says, by the way, we'll bill you for the toy later. No. It's free. That's what God's saying. This is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How do you see that? Here's how you see it. What happened to Jesus on the cross? Because when Jesus Christ is on the cross, he is eternally, infinitely separated from God, and he's also separated from man. He was rejected by both parties. And he goes through the ultimate death, the ultimate wrath of God for our sins. That Jesus Christ, now I want you to think about this. When little boy Jesus Christ, maybe 12 years old, remember he's in the temple, we see that in Luke chapter 2. He knows the scripture in and out, even at that point. You better believe he's read Genesis 15. You better believe that when he read it, he would have realized by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's going to have to do that to me. If these people are going to be saved by grace, that's going to happen to me. Imagine the perseverance he would have to keep going to the cross. Imagine his love for you to keep going to the cross. You see, Jesus is the only one who is enough. Jesus took the infinite and eternal wrath of God for all of our sins in a moment of a couple hours on that cross. And here's what it means. It means forgiveness is amazing. You know, the word forgiveness actually means to separate from. It's also, it also can be translated, it it's also means to divorce from the penalty of sin, the guilt of sin, the condemnation of sin. Real sins of real sinners. Not pretend sins of pretend sinners. You and me. Real, tangible things we've done. That Jesus Christ gives us separation from that. He gives you forgiveness of all your past, of all your present, and of all your future. He forgives us. And when we have that forgiveness in Jesus Christ, here's the thing, brothers and sisters, you must believe it. Some of you, I long for you to know it. Some of you struggle so difficult, like it's so hard for you and you just can't believe it and you wallow in your sins and you only review your past. I long for you to look at Jesus Christ and realize you are fully forgiven. Embrace it. It is your reality. Run to Him. Don't run away from Him. Don't keep trying to beat yourself up. You'll never find forgiveness that way. Run to Him. See, some of us, our sin is either brought up by family every time we go home, or it's brought up by friends, maybe in here, maybe not in here, about that one weekend that we had that just was not good at all. 
Or maybe our conscience is like a billboard that when we drive down the highway, and it's just billboard after billboard that just shows us and reminds us of things of what we've done. You need to look at the reality of Scripture and say, this is my reality, none of this. Amen? You are a sinner, but Christ is a greater Savior. That's what this means. This is what grace is. Grace is free. It's not like the good place. You remember the show, The Good Place, where you have to accrue a lot of good points? And if you get enough good points, then maybe you can make it to the good place. But here's one of the things. You'll never be able to score enough points. You will never be able to have good deeds that outweigh your bad. Your only hope is to trust in the only person who is ever good enough. That's what the gospel is. You see, but when we live like life is the good place, or like we're trying to get to the good place in that system, here's what we do. We either look at our life and we say, well, I'm doing pretty good. I don't really need God. Or we do this. We look at God and we say, well, he really needs my faith. He needs my gifts. He needs my works. Those are the types of people who become very judgmental. And you look at other people, especially when you're really busy, and you look at other people and you sit back in your conscience and you say, she's not doing as much as I am. He's not getting enough done as I am. That's what happens when we don't believe in grace. God accomplishes all of our salvation. We just give him our sin. And what's amazing is that God is so serious about dealing with us in grace in Jesus Christ. And it also gives a warning because how serious of a thing is it to reject Jesus Christ? You can have grace and assurance, and love, and identity, and security, and a for sure destiny when you get Jesus Christ. That's who you need. There was a combat, Air Force combat controller. Shout out to my ROTC people. There's an Air Force combat controller who was fighting in a really intense battle one time when he saw Afghan soldiers laying down their lives for them. And he goes on to say, there's no greater respect in the world than someone who's willing to lay down their life for you in combat. That's actually, in a way, we could say stolen from Jesus, where he says there's no greater love than he who lays down his life for his friends. Even more so, as Romans 5 says, he who lays down his life for his enemies. That's what Jesus does for you. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice who will split in half. Jesus Christ is the one who will ultimately be the offspring of Abraham. What's actually really cool is that word offspring for Abraham is the same word used in Genesis 3.15 that you looked at last week. When God made a promise amidst the curse, he said, there will be an offspring of the woman who will crush the serpent. Do you know what God's saying here? That promise from Genesis 3.15 is being echoed here again. The snake crusher is coming. That's Jesus. It's also in Jesus that there would be a multitude of people who would, be, who would be brought into the family of faith, a multi-ethnic people with so much diversity. And you might be in this room, you might be thinking, how in the world can I get along with this, these people? Do you know what our unity is? Jesus. It's Him. And it's only Him. Jesus fulfills all of this. That's an amazing Savior. 
God gives grace freely. Grace gives God freely. There's a man named Lionel Rodia. And in 2008, he was one of many millions of Americans uh, who lost their job. He lived in Philadelphia, and the only thing going for him in 2009 was the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies, they were in the World Series. <laughs> uh, by strangest of events, Lionel found a free ticket uh, to the last game of the World Series that the Phillies were going to win. He finds a ticket, and then actually he looks down, and he sees that there's some open seats right behind home plate. So as a very bold guy who has nothing to lose, he just walks down there like he knows what he's doing. He sits in those seats. He picks up his phone, he calls his buddy, and he says, hey, look down below behind home plate. Buddy can't believe it. He's like, what are you doing down there? He's like, I just came and sat down. Philadelphia Phillies are about to win the game. And walking down the aisle right beside him is a lot of security guards circling around the World Series trophy. You know what Lionel does? He gets up, he acts like he knows what he's doing, he steps right behind them, he just walks right behind them onto the field. He calls his buddy, hey, look on the field. What? Can't believe it. Lionel jumps in the victory uh, dog pile at, at the pitcher's mound as if he's one of the players. By the way, this is a short and very eye-shaped guy. He's in there with the team, and they start passing out championship T-shirts. He gets one of them and puts it on. Yeah, this is real. Go look it up. One of the players, Shane Victorino, is from Hawaii, and so is his wife. His wife starts putting lays on people, and Lionel has a shirt on, and it looks like he's a part of the team. So what does she do? She puts a lay on him. Lionel starts getting all these hugs. He starts getting all these like men crying all over him. He's looked at like he's part of the team, and he's treated like he's part of the team. And you know what they do? We're going back in the we're going back in the locker room. You know what Lionel does? He goes in the locker room and he picks up his phone. And he calls his buddy. He says, "Hey, turn on the TV." What? Lionel's on TV. He's got champagne. He's popping bottles and he's spraying them all over the players, and he's celebrating in their victory. Let me tell you something. If that's not a picture of the gospel, I don't know what is. For real. You want to see how? You do nothing to earn it. Absolutely nothing. You, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you follow Jesus Christ into heaven to have access to the Father. You jump into the victory pile with all the other saints, who, by the way, also have not done anything to earn it, but we celebrate because of what Jesus has done. We receive the righteous, victorious robes of Jesus Christ as our identity. And as we have those, we are looked at as we are part of the team and we're treated as we're part of the team. And we're brought back into the throne room of God to celebrate for all eternity. And it's all given to you for free. Because Jesus Christ is enough. And all you need to do is believe. Grace is free. But it wasn't free for Jesus. Because he sacrificed himself for you. That's who you need to look to. And you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your extravagant, incredible, true, relevant word. I don't even know how else we can explain it. We could just do this all night. But we can't make this up. It's amazing. Help us to believe. 
Because, Lord Jesus, you are absolutely amazing. And it is so worth it to be in with you for all eternity, just being amazed at who you are. Save us tonight. Help us to look not within, but to look without. And may we be saved and sanctified. And we ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.